0: Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. So here we are. Noah has built the ark, got in the ark, and what do we have is eight individuals. That's all that's left of humankind. And it's Noah and his wife and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they're his sons' wives. So it's eight people. They're the forefathers of the entire world. Our forefathers, everyone here, is defend, is is descendant from these eight individuals. And modern anthropology will tell you something different, but that's not what is. Happened, but this is what happened because God's word says that's what happened. In chapter 9, the Lord gives Noah a familiar command. We know this command from Genesis chapter 1, but he gives it to Noah now. In chapter 1, the Lord gives this command be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to Adam. Well, they didn't get very far. It was only a short time later that the Lord said, There's corruption everywhere. Let's Let's wipe this out. Let's start again. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In Genesis 9, 7, and you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So a command has been given once again to Noah, his wife, the sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the sons' wives. And as far as we can tell, if we read in chapter 10, as far as we can tell... They were doing this as far as the multiplication aspect. They had set out to do the first part. In chapter 10, we have a huge record of genealogy of of children being born, grandchildren being born, and great-grandchildren being born. So they're multiplying into various people groups, into various nations, And chapter 10 tells us they do have languages and the like. And verse 32 says, there are the clans of the sons of Noah. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So it's like, oh, okay, chapter 10, done. They did everything they're supposed to do, right? Well, now when we get into chapter 11, we realize that wasn't the end of the story. That's the end of the story, but in the middle of the story, we have our texts of the day. And like I mentioned, modern, modern anthropologists will tell you that nations and languages and men and people kind of spread out from one part of the world and they evolved and the nations evolved, the languages evolved from grunting, cave paintings and all this stuff. Chapter 11 actually tells us what happened. The first nations as well as the first languages are given to us here in chapter 10 and 11. And they both have their origin by a direct sovereign act of God to fulfill his purposes. And that's what we're gonna learn today is what was the purpose of these languages and these nations, and what does it mean to us? What's the relevance to us of what happened 4,000 years ago or so? And what we're gonna also see is that the people, post-flood people that we're reading about here, they weren't much better than the pre-flood people, right? They're about the same. And they continued to decide for themselves what was best, and they disobeyed and dishonored God. They were given clear instructions, and they did their own thing. And if it sounds like a familiar tune, it is, because it's the story of all mankind to this very day. And it will be until the Lord returns and redeems all of this. So the first point we'll see from the Scriptures, from the Word today, is that man is building up. We see man is building something. Now, he was given an instruction to do something, but the first thing he does is starts to build. And the Word says that the whole earth had one language and the same words. And that's not uh, redundant. Those two words are not synonymous. Language is one thing, and words is something else. And most of us, English is our primary language, if not a very familiar language to us. And uh, even though we call it English, if we were to go to England... It would be a whole different words used. The language is the same, but the words are different. Australia is different. South Africa, different. New Zealand, different. Hong Kong, which was ruled by the English for many years, different, right? And here we call the back of the car the trunk. In most other English-speaking nations call it the boot. Why? I don't know. But imagine you're over there and they say, put your luggage in the boot. What are you going to, you don't know what they're talking about. Here in this context, they had the same language and the same words, so they could communicate. There was no uh, confusion. There was no whoa, what's the boot? What's it all about? boot? Nothing like that. It was the, literally the same one kind of words. All right, so that's what's important there. And um, they also went. Where did where were they? They were in the valley uh, or a place in the land of Shinar. It was a plain in the Mesopotamian valley. You know, this is uh, not only. Uh, archaeology, ge- I mean, it's, it's geography. We know where they were. And they were near the original Garden of Eden. So they weren't too far away where they started. Now, granted, they were uh, all descendants of the flood. And where, you know, uh, Noah ended up on, on Ararat somewhere, we don't know exactly where that is. But they ended up near the Garden of Eden once again. And if there was any nation or any people group that we would expect not to rebel once again, it would be these people. Their grandparents survived a worldwide catastrophic flood that wiped everybody out, right? Now you would imagine that Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and all the family, this would have been like, hey, hey kids, don't do this because the Lord's going to wipe you out. And what we'll learn next week is well, the Lord said, I'm going to set a covenant, and I'm not going to do this again. Thank the Lord that he's not going to do it that way again. He will do it another way. But maybe, just maybe, these people who we thought would have learned that lesson because most of everybody, their contemporaries had been wiped out, would not rebel. But maybe they thought, you know, this is a little conjecture our part, maybe they thought, well, the Lord's not going to wipe everybody else out again. Maybe we can get away with rebelling a little bit. Maybe they forgot. Maybe the parents forgot to teach them properly. But regardless, it's estimated that it's about a hundred-year time period from the flood to where we are in history at this time. And yet we see that the world and the people in it are essentially the same before the flood. And in chapter 6 last week, verse 5, we learned that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and, the every, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the flood didn't seem to have changed that. And they had a lot of brick and they, you know, they tells them they had brick, let's build something. And it just speaks to the uh, engineering uh, capabilities. You know, uh, we like to think that we're very technologically advanced because we have all these devices. But imagine this 4,000 years ago. They're like, we're going to build some stuff. And we're going to use this brick. We're going to use these materials. We're going to build some stuff. Not only are we going to build a city. And we're going to build this city. And when we're talking about a city, it's walls and houses and places of trade. Let us build us, ourselves a city in a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And you don't see any kind of like, let's inquire of the Lord what we would have us do. And let's pray and let's ask for wisdom and guidance. There's none of that. They already knew what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to multiply and they've been doing some of that, but they haven't gone out. And they just said, hey, this is a nice spot. This is a nice place. It's temperate. You know, there's water here. Pretty close to Eden. Let's build a city here, ignoring the word of the Lord and what he told them to do. And let's, play, let's build a place for ourselves. It's not a bad thing. You know, many people are like, I like to build my own house. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but they were told to do something differently. Let's be secure within our walls. Let's build a place for trade. Let's rule ourselves. Let's worship. And while we have it, since we've done all this brick and mortar and all this stuff, let's build ourselves a tower. And a tower that is so tall it reaches the heavens. It's not with the intent to reach, actually reach heaven. You know, some people, oh, I look how ignorant they're trying to reach. No, that's, that's, that wasn't intent. It was just like they're building this monstrosity over here, the hard rock hotel thing. It's a monstrosity, right? You can see it from if there are no trees, you can see a mile away, two miles away, this monstrosity. Why? It's to build a tower for themselves so that their name would be high. And that everybody would go, look, there it is. That's the point behind it. And there are actually these towers around. They're called ziggurats. And they have found many of these. Archaeologists have found them. And one of the uh, most largest ones they found is in Babylon, which is where... This comes from where Babel is. And it's 300 feet tall. They estimated it was 300 feet tall. That's 300 feet built with brick and mortar 4,000 years ago. And they they know the dimensions. It's mathematical and a a constructive, you know, uh, majestic, if you will, a piece of uh, building. And in it, there are uh, in many of these ziggurats, there are places of worship there 's temples, art, uh, astrological signs. so it is possible that these people wanted to build not only a temple so everybody or a, a structure so everybody could see it, but also to worship some false god because it doesn 't say if they 're going to do it or not so i 'm not going to sit here well they 're going to worship Satan here you know or some false deity, but it 's possible because that 's what has been found archaeologically in other places. So Imagine a 300-foot structure, 30 stories. It's not a small building that they are planning to build so that they can make a name for themselves, so they can feel good, so they can make themselves known. And I remember growing up, that was something, you know, that was said to people. you got to go out and make a name for yourself, right, which basically meant, you know, leave your home and establish yourself, which is... Not a bad thing to do, necessarily. But instead of exalting God's name, they were trying to exalt their own name. And they were not told to make a name for themselves. They were told to go out and disperse. And so, just by implication, building the city, building a tower, all the investment, the one language, everybody of one accord in unity in effect, to disobey the Lord. They wanted to get powerful. They wanted to consolidate. Why? Why do they want to do all this? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They did it because they didn't want to do what God told them to do. We don't want to be dispersed. Let's just set it up. Let's take South Florida, put a wall around it. That's it. It's our compound. Put a moat. I want a moat. We have, a, we have gators. We can put moats. But this is in direct contrast to God's clear instruction. And we could use a term like they wanted, they wanted to be empowered like we would do today because we want to be independent. We want to be free of God's commands. But God has his own purposes and he has his own design, his own plan. And while men are building something up, God comes and he does a little inspection, a divine inspection. And verse 5 says that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, the Lord didn't physically come down and walk and like, hey, yeah, this is, you know, this is good. This is not good. You get a certificate of occupancy. He could see it from far away. We know he sees all things. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He didn't need to come down, but it gives you a picture of like, I'm going to take a look at this thing myself. I'm going to see this tower that they built. And you might be aware that currently the tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa Tower in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates this tower, is 2,717 feet tall. For a little scale context, that's one half mile tall. A half mile tall. That is the tallest building in the world. I've never seen it. I would love to see it. I don't think I would go up it. Because it sounds scary. And that is not even a speck compared to our enormous God. And we try, and there are many buildings that go higher and taller and grow, all with the intent of glorifying ourselves. And they do funny things. It's interesting, the engineering behind it. They'll build an extra little platform, put an antenna just so they can be a little bit taller than the other one. Isn't that interesting? All that folly. God is so much bigger than that and he sees everything, and he comes down to check this out, which the children of man have built, and it's interesting, last week, Pastor George mentioned um, the daughters of man looked attracted to the sons of God, and here we have the children of man building this city, this tower, again, showing that these are unrighteous and ungodly people, and when he saw this, he goes, let me see what's going on here. They're building this thing. Let's see what's going on. Oh, the Lord said, behold, they are one people. and They all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And when we read that and we read that out of context, it's like, what's the matter? God doesn't want you to do things. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to work together to be one people. Nothing is impossible. You know, we like to tell that to our children. You can do whatever you want. Nothing is impossible for you. No, most of us are not going to be astronauts for president, right? It's not that nothing is impossible. It's not trying to prevent them from doing something. It's that they are being disobedient. And if they had it in them to so openly rebel, I mean, again, it's 100 years later. Go through, be fruitful. Multiply. Basically disperse, go around the world, and they said, we're going to build a city here so we won't go to be dispersed. If they're so openly willing to rebel this way, there's no telling what they would do. It wasn't that they just built a city in a tower. It was not that they weren't just, hey, we're going to sit and hang out here for a few years. It's that the intent of their heart was to disobey God. It was desperately wicked. And they even didn't even want to hide it from the Lord. Even worse, not that they could, but they didn't try to hide it. They were building a tower. Look at us. So they were not only disobeying, but they were defying and digging in, fortifying themselves so that they could be united in their one nation and one language, united in their wickedness and defying the Lord. Nothing was beyond their capability or reach what he means, that nothing will be impossible for them. If they can do this, they'll do anything. But God is not going to just allow people to do whatever they want. He had a plan. And he wasn't going to allow a single nation to exist because he has his purposes to fulfill. And that won't exist. That one one world government won't exist until much later in the future, as we learned in Revelation in our family shepherd group. There's going to be one people, one government, one ruler for a time, and that ruler is going to be the Antichrist, as we learned in Revelation 13. And that will be a time, and it will only be there because God allows it to happen. We see in Revelation 13, 17, 18, and then in 19, the Lord comes back, and he slays that Antichrist, and he will set himself up as the ruler of his kingdom. There will be one world, one people, one ruler, but it'll be the right one, and it'll be the Lord Jesus Christ in his time. It wasn't going to happen then because God needed his purposes to be fulfilled. And it just shows his sovereignty in the creation of all these nations. And we struggle with that sometimes today. Why are there so many nations and languages? And wouldn't it have been easier if there was only one nation, one language? No, it wouldn't. The Lord says, okay, Verse seven, it's time for you to get out. So he gives them an eviction notice. You built this thing, you built a tower. you started to do this. Get out. So he gives them an eviction notice. Let us come, let us go down. Interesting is let us go down. And there, confuse their language, so that they, they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city abandoned. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the languages of the earth. So imagine this we're here, I'm preaching, or you're at work, you're having a conversation with your co workers, and all of a sudden, they don't know what you're saying. You know, it's coming out of your mouth, and they responded to you like, it's like talking with Amelia right now, who's not quite talking yet. It's like talking, you know, it's, it's babble. That's where you get that, right? Baby Babel, right? You use that term. But imagine you're doing that. They're saying something that you don't understand. them, You're saying something they don't understand you. The other guy's saying something nobody understands him. And all of a sudden, there's confusion, and you're working on the building something, this city, this plan. You have your plan. We're going to be great. We're going to corral all this. We're going to be one people one nation, and no, no, you're not. You find out, well, what do we do now? There's going to be frustration, confusion, anger, fear. I mean, I think we'd be afraid if everybody in this room started talking different languages, right? I think there would be some fears, like what's going on? The Lord didn't tell them what he did. He didn't tell them he judged them, but he did. But then you find out if you go home, you know, your wife speaks the same language, your kids speak the same language, and there might be a few other people you're related to that speak the same language. So now you have some people you can relate to, and you can talk to them, and you can make a plan with them, because the Word doesn't tell us how he dispersed them, but I think it's pretty clear. He dispersed them or distributed them because they were the only people they could talk to, and if you, you can only talk to a certain group of people, you're going to probably hang out with those group of people. And... You probably confused them to the point where they couldn't learn the other language yet. So you have a nation now that is in turmoil. And now instead of one language, one words, you have multiple languages. There are 6,500 languages in the world now, roughly. And there were more because they're dying off, right? Sadly, they die off. Some parents don't do a good enough job teaching their next generation their language, like us. Maybe don't teach our kids enough Spanish if you speak Spanish. And so not that Spanish will die off, but you can imagine one of these other languages, smaller languages, the traditions not being passed down and down and down. And so they die off. But there's 6,500 languages. Imagine how many there would have been before. Maybe tens of thousands of languages. That's confusion. And these people got together, and from there, the Lord dispersed them. And that's where all the nations came from. It's pretty simple. It doesn't require a lot of exposition. That's how he did it. And ironically, they wanted to make a name for themselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Ironically, the name that they were given was Babel. You're confused. Basically. What another failure. How hard did they work to build this thing? All the, you know, it wasn't like they could go to the brick store. They had to make the bricks, start building the thing, measure it out, all this stuff, and then it's all over. And there it is. You are from Babel. And it's, a, it's recorded here for our good. Obviously, it's, a, it's in the Word, so it has to be for our good. An understanding that we may make our own plans, but God has his own plan. He could confuse it, especially, especially if it's in direct disobedience of a command that he gave us. And he doesn't act haphazardly or aimlessly. He wasn't caught by surprise. These nations and languages and tongues were not an afterthought. It wasn't like, oh, plan B. You know, that wasn't an intent. The intent was to disperse everybody anyway and naturally languages would have come up on their own. But this is a judgment of God on the sin of these people, from God, for the sin of these people to fulfill his own command and his own purposes. And when he permits something, which he permitted him to build it, he obviously gave him the ability to make the bricks. He gave them, you know, he could have wiped them all out, right? He did it before, a hundred years before. He could have wiped them out. Nobody died in this judgment All he did was confuse them, and he permits a thing, so he does so for a reason, and that reason is part of his plan, and really the takeaway is that God is sovereign in all these nations, all the nations. The nation that we are in, he was sovereign in the creation of this nation. Now, whether we are a Christian nation or not, debatable, but he was sovereign that this country, the United States of America, is here, and it's for his purposes and ultimately for Jesus' name to be glorified. And so we want to learn why. How does this judgment, how does this rebellion, how do the nations that have been created, how do they glorify, magnify and glorify Christ? I have four four ways of how it does that. And maybe it'll give you another picture in a way of how we can look at this and kind of see how it affects us because we look at it like, well, we all speak a bunch of different languages and there are a bunch of nations. We know all that. This is the result. Yeah, there's a result, but there's a benefit. And God is glorified. And the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Imagine this. Think about it. We are protected by the fact that there are multiple nations in the world because there's not one ruling nation, there's not one monolithic power, there's not one ruler or one group of rulers who can say, Christianity is illegal, wipe them off the face of the planet. Right? That's been tried before for Christianity, for the Jews, from people who think that they can rule over the entire world. There's a saying or a quote that is, usually misquoted, but I'm going to quote it properly. It says, power tends to corrupt. Just because there's power doesn't mean you will be corrupted, but it tends to corrupt. But you can have power, you can be in power, but not be corrupted. However, absolute power corrupts absolutely. If you have absolute power, if someone is in absolute control of everything, they will be corrupted. It's our human nature. Thankfully, our particular form of government doesn't allow for one person to be in control of everything. That there's a check and balances. Yes, it can go one way, it could go over rotate the other way, but there are checks and balances. If there was one nation, imagine in one nation across the globe, all it would take would be one leader or a group of leaders to make a decision, fall for the lust of unchecked power and declare some monolithic state unchristian state it could happen right there are people out there that would love to eradicate all religion not just christianity but instead we have nations that offer security peace sanctuary and though no nations are perfect you know there are nations that stand up to evil when evil arises good comes so it's our protection why there are there all these nations? It's a good thing. Second, the gospel is glorified this way because it's also protected. It's not tribal. It's not provincial. It's not limited to only one language. Like you may know that if you were to read the Quran, you're supposed to read it in Arabic. You're not supposed to read it in another language. You have to learn the language. Why? Well, because they want it to be restrictive. Yeah, you can be an, another person, non an Arab, become Muslim, but they want you to learn in Arabic. The gospel goes out to all nations, everywhere, all languages. It's not tribal, it breaks into every language, every people. Would it be easier to take the gospel if everybody spoke? Yeah, it would be easier. But God gets more glory when it's harder. God gets more glory when someone you've been praying for, witnessing to, and sharing the gospel with for 30 years that comes to Christ, than you know, they just learn that one day. Doesn't he get more glory? They're both glorious. Not saying one is better than the other, but we're talking about the glory of God and and magnifying the glory of God. So the global glory of the gospel of Christ would not shine as beautifully as it does in the prism of a thousand of languages. Every thirdly, every group, every nation will be claimed by God. So, think about that. The Word says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And therefore, to make disciples of all nations. Every nation will bow down. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that majestic? Doesn't that sound bigger than, hey, one day we'll all bow down? No, it's every nation, every tongue, all these people that even claim to be a Muslim nation or an agnostic or uh, atheistic nation will bow down. All of them. Every group will be claimed. The authority and power of Jesus is magnified because he lays claim on every land. Language group in every people. And lastly, Jesus is praised. Jesus will be praised. He'd be magnified because Jesus is praised even more because of the diversity. We have people here speaking multiple languages. Have you ever been to a church in another country or another, or maybe another church here? There are plenty of churches, Korean churches, Italian churches, Greek churches. Have you ever been to a church where you didn't speak the language? Or have you ever heard singing praises to the Lord in another language that you've never heard of before, that you don't know, you don't understand? And you have this sort of this kinship with those worshipers, because they're worshiping in spirit and truth. Even though you don't know, you might hear the tune, you don't know, but you hear them singing. And it happened to us once in in Rome, we were walking through and we heard this singing coming out of a church, it wasn't a Catholic church, it was a non-Protestant a, a Protestant church, and I hear this singing, and I don't understand the language, but you know what they're doing. We walk in, and it's a small group, a, a small choir from Africa, who was visiting and practicing in this church. And you could fall down on your face and worship, because there are brothers and sisters from another country whom you've never met, you never spoken to, I probably couldn't even speak to them. And yet we are worshiping together, singing praises to our Lord. Revelation says, Revelation 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and, and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Imagine that picture when we're in glory with him and there's all these multitudes of nations and people that you've never met before singing in one voice. And I don't know, they'll be in different languages. Maybe we'll understand it. Maybe we won't. I don't think we'll care. And it's interesting, as I was studying for this, uh, somebody may mention, and kind of George brought it up a little bit today in the BRP moment, but Tower of Babel confused the languages, right? They all had one language. Now you have thousands of languages. And then one day at Pentecost, everybody could understand each other briefly for a moment. And in a way, God undid that the confusion, so that the gospel would go out once again and thousands were saved. And maybe that's what will happen again in glory. We'll all have one voice, uh, one language, and we'll definitely be one nation, thankfully. The peoples of the world wanted a city of their own with a tower that would reach the heavens, and they wanted to make a name for themselves, and they didn't get any of it. They got none of it. But for those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will receive all that they wanted and more. We will receive the promise of Revelation 3. There's a promise there for us. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. They wanted a city. They wanted a tower. They wanted a name. They didn't get any of it. We're going to get a name. We're going to get a city. We're going to get a nation. We're going to get one wonderful and glorious ruler in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even so long ago, Lord, we can read in your word. We can learn and glean from it, Lord. We can see the majesty of your sovereignty, Lord. And though we work with our hands and we labor to build here, Lord, our, our inheritance is not here at all, Lord. It's with you in heaven. Lord, we we look forward to that day. We seek that inheritance, Lord. Help us to be obedient to your word. Give us conviction when we disobey, when we turn away from your word, Lord, and your clear instruction. Lord, correct us. You are merciful to these people, Lord. You could have wiped them out. that you fulfilled your purposes, your design with them. We ask that you do the same, Lord. Be merciful to us when we disobey, Lord. Correct us, Lord. Have us seek your will so that we could glorify you, Lord, with our lips and our lives. We look forward to that day when you do return and establish your kingdom here and rule and reign righteously with justice for your people we pray these things in for your glory and for your name's sake in Jesus name we pray amen Christ Community Church is a God glorifying, Christ exalting, and Bible centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on our ministry, please visit our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's ChristcomChurchCom.org.